0: Let us worship God.
1: Listen to the words that
0: Our first reading this morning is from Job chapter 38, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. O oh God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our minds and hearts this morning, that we might hear your word for us this day. Amen. Then God answered out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds or who can tilt the waterskins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their covert? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
2: The second reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. Let's begin with a prayer. God, open the eyes of our hearts so that we might hear your ancient words speaking across the millennia, becoming relevant to us in these moments of our lives amen. Isaiah 53, 4 through 12. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned to our own way, and the Holy One has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of God to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Holy One shall prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The word of God. So this morning, we are going to take a look at the reading from Job. Actually, we're going to take a glimpse. We're going to glimpse the book of Job. And I wonder, I wonder, as the readings have both been about suffering, what you think of times in your own life when suffering has come quite unexpected. Did it reshape ever the way you saw yourself? the way you saw others, perhaps even the way you saw God. This morning, we are looking at one of Earth's most ancient texts, the book of Job, and we find that it speaks to us across the millennia with undimmed descriptive power of all that remains familiar to us about human suffering. We watch Job as he struggles with his own loss of control, with the sustained illusion of his friends, and we see a progression that might inform the way we see ourselves experience loss. First, Job sees reality. He does not look away. Then he grieves his reality. He retains a steadiness, but he always maintains searching questions. He continues all the way through to ask to see God. German theologian Johannes Metz wrote about Poverty of Spirit, a tiny book of under 60 pages. Here's a paraphrase. True poverty of spirit is visible in a powerless individual who is able to dwell in the full reality of being human with all its sorrows and abandonments. One who is able to abide in the defeats of life. His observation captures the book of Isaiah's suffering servant as it does Job. Over the past 18 months, All of you have done much to stay steady. And many of you address this congregation on how to do that in your homilies and small groups. Since today's reading relies heavily on context, here is a spare prologue, a plotline recap. It's an introduction to a blameless man, a just man. His wealth set him apart. In fact, he's called the wealthiest man in all of the East, the greatest among them. In this prologue, we drop directly into the action, and the action is a meeting between God, the angels, and an accuser who entered fresh from roaming to and fro in the earth. God asks the accuser, Have you taken stock of the blameless, upright, God-fearing Job? The accuser claims, Job gets a great return for being God-fearing. But if you stretch out your hand, if you so much as stretch out your hand and strike Job, taking all he counts as his own, he will turn and curse you to your face. God agreed to put all Job had in the accuser's hand, save not even a finger was to be laid on Job. In what seemed a single day in the text, Job learned of total loss that included his children and their families, his servants, his livestock, in fact, all of his earthly possessions. Some lost to natural disaster, some to massacre, Some to theft, others to destruction. A single survivor arrived from each location informing Job of the loss. Job tore his robe. He set a razor to his head. He kneeled to the ground. His words are now familiar to us. Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked, I will return to the womb of the earth. God gives, God takes. Blessed be the name of God. Then, this plot line moves along quickly. We are again in the conversation between God, angels, and accuser. The accuser agreed that Job had endured everything and that he remained blameless, but he was determined. He upped the wager and quipped, skin for skin, humans do anything to save their skin. Take his health and he will curse you to your face. Again, God accepted the accuser's wager with this caveat. Stop short of taking Job's life. And as you know, soon inflamed ulcers covered him from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot. Old Testament scholars, Job's friends arrived at this point. They arrived from different cities and they belabored their points of view in pages of poetry. Walter Brueggemann, Hebrew scholar, says that Job's friends, and I quote this, live out a denial of reality, end of quote, reality that was right in front of them. They subscribed a moral calculus of the world that they believed accounted for everything. Overly simplistic and separated from the true source accounted for everything. It was mathematical elegance. In fact, a set of linguistic equations that describe a duality. Righteous life results in prosperity. Unrighteous life results in adversity, hardship, and misfortune. Though the book of Job was likely written before the Torah, We see the same formula in the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Torah obedience results in blessing, Torah disobedience in God's harsh judgment. For a closer look at the way Job's three friends are handling these equations, it seems important for me to provide you with a severely reductionistic version of their arguments it may verge on irreverence. Forgive me. Eliphaz observed the immensity of Job's suffering. He observed the immensity of Job's loss. He did the calculation. According to his math, Job was a first-class moral failure. Bildad, much the same, reasoned God cannot be unjust. So Job, if not you, it must have been your kids that sinned. Simply admit that to God and start over. Zophar echoes both of them a bit, contending that God is just, no question about that. So Job had offended, and the whole mess in the end is his fault. He gives very little support. The three have an undeviating confidence in what they are saying. They believe that they see clearly, and Job does not see clearly. They believe they are healthy souls, and Job is the sick soul. In his book, Reality, Denial, and Hope, Uh, Brueggemann highlights the ideas of a man named Richard Beck. And if you would like the references I'll be glad to give them to you. But in it he looks a bit at the sick soul and the healthy soul in the same way that Jesus does. Remember when he said they are blind but they think they can see? They are Sick, but they do not know they need a physician. That happens here. And so in the end, Brueggemann writes that, and I'm paraphrasing, it's the sick soul that sees. It is the sick soul that does not look for stress-free comfort. And it is the sick soul that maintains a capacity to stand steady in the face of unknowing, of perceived divine failure. Beck writes, and this I will quote, even though it might be easier, simply as a matter of coping, to hide our eyes from life, the sick refuse to look away. Job refused to look away. The sick refused to look away. They refused to retreat into easy, consoling beliefs. Job looked at reality. Job grieved. Job did not retreat into consoling beliefs. But still, Job turned over the equation of his friends in his mind. He turned it over until he could overturn it. Because, he finally said, the wicked live to a ripe old age and they prosper. He was seeing that a just God blessed the unjust. The just God blessed the unjust this insight couldn't sway his friend's judgment but job glimpsed an unanticipated god one who could not be predicted one who was more complex and more mysterious job (laughs) declared my redeemer lives and he asked for a mediator to present his case in fact he said that if he knew where he could find god he would go, he would present his case. His friends' confidence in their knowledge is in their own seeing, and we can see this in our day, create a barrier where conversation, real conversation becomes impossible. In this past decade, we have observed the appeal to certainty to simple moral calculations. With value placed on authority figures, a sense of rightness and wrongness, allegiances and judgment of others. Job experienced added suffering because of the judgment of his three friends. Something happens when certainty holds sway. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it elegantly like this, self-justification, and judging others go together. He doubts that we ever can have a reliable knowledge of good and evil. That means I am an unreliable judge. That means that this is possibly the awareness that prompted Jesus to say, don't judge. Judge not. Don't do it. The kind of judgment based on supposed certainties always produces pain. Earlier this year, I was invited to sit on a panel discussing COVID-19's impact on families who were living with someone in the home who was mentally ill. The first and most haunting question was about blame and judgment a question of who is to blame, Are mothers to blame, our parents to blame, the question reveals an underneath pain that adds to the distress that comes with others' judgment. We can assume that judgment of others is always illegitimate. And we can assume that this unmistakable judgment of Job, Added distress and pain in the life of Job. In his lament, he challenged what he'd known of God, he challenged his friends, and he questioned his own loss. We can answer our questions sometimes by setting aside, beginning to set aside our own assumptions, and suffering can do that for us. Here is a prayer called the Set Aside Prayer. It is from AA, comes from an anonymous Jim H. God, today, help me set aside everything I think I know about you. Help me set aside everything I think I know about myself and everything I think I know about others so I may have an open, clear mind for a new experience of all these things. This kind of prayer may assist us in finding new experience when we encounter suffering because it sort of shatters our interior maps. Job's new experience included a breach of the persistent illusion of his friends. He had recognized that God allowed the wicked to prosper. And from there, it is a short, short step to the recognition that God's blessing falls on the unjust and on the just. As Jesus would say later, the sun shines, the rain falls on the unjust and the just. Now the God that Job sought was unexpected and failed utterly failed to conform to the dualistic calculus. In the 1980s, my own experience opened a space where all of my formulas were inadequate. My husband Rod returned from a business trip quite ill. Within weeks and with plans already in place for post-surgical cancer treatment, seven pounds of tumor were removed. We waited more than two weeks to find that the tissue was benign. In the interim, our teenage daughter stopped eating. Open conversations about disordered eating were in their infancy. While these losses were still fresh to us, our young son, like three of his great uncles, was diagnosed with insulin-dependent diabetes. Reality. Reality, looking away from such reality, carries dangerous risks. But the cost of refusing to look away means being present every day with difficult realities and with an unanticipated, unfamiliar God. Job held the tension between this unfamiliar God that confused him and the wreckage that had been a prosperous life. Again, he said something like, I'd walk to God myself if I knew the way to get there. Elihu, in a humorous passage, visualized the scene God in awesome majesty might come from the north in golden splendor. Instead of that, God appeared wrapped in a whirlwind. This is important for us to hear. God did not so much as speak about Job's suffering. God did not announce Job's innocence. However, and this, this is, inspires awe. However, Job asked God to show up, and God showed up. This alone established Job's great value to God. Questioning of Job moved from the universal. You heard Jenna read the passage. From the universal to the unstable, and fragile creatures that were familiar to Job. Do you know how to adjust Orion's belt? Do you know how the frame of the earth was set? And then, do you satisfy the hunger of lions in their den? When the young cry out to God who feeds them these questions are particulars these are creatures that Job encountered in his world the experience is real here is Job protected from nothing but he is sustained just as these creatures in his world are sustained though the suffering made no sense to Job He was not unseen. He was not unheard. When God who feeds the raven chicks when they cry out for lack of food, when that passage falls on our our ear, we might think of Luke and Matthew and Jesus speaking about sparrows. Two different writers are not two sold for a penny are not five sold for two pennies. Yet not one of them falls to the ground without God's care. Job lamented. Job protested. And he protested his way into a wisdom that sounds almost like this, captured by James Finley. He writes, and I quote, if we are absolutely grounded in the absolute love of God that protects us from nothing. Even as it sustains us in all things, then we can face all things with courage and tenderness and touch the hurting places in ourselves and in others with great love. I would love to read it again, and because I wanted you to have it, it's in a card on the pew. God protects us from nothing, even as he sustains us in all things. And because of that, we can face all things with courage and tenderness and touch others with the same courage and tenderness that we are experiencing. After this exchange, God turns his energy and his intention to the healing of the relationships between these conflicted human beings. First, God sternly addresses the friends. He instructs them to bring and offer a sacrifice, and then he instructs them to seek prayer for themselves from the freshly humbled Job. In something of a surprise to me, God seeks to remain in this healing circle with the assurance that when Job prays, God will answer. And I wondered, is this a model for the prayer of forgiveness? A threesome? Forgiver, forgiven, and God saying, I want a place in this circle. This forms a tender unity as the suffering resolves and God again blesses. So we looked at Job. I'm going to recap this because there's a lot to gather up. Job looked squarely at his reality unflinchingly, even as he was wedged between human suffering and the criticism of his friends. He did not look away. Instead, he grieved and he steadied himself again and again. His lament had a deep desire in it and the desire was to see the God that terrified him. Job appeared able to set aside what he thought he knew and he listened for an utterly new and real experience of God. Job heard that God feeds the ravens. If hungry hatchlings are seen by God, it reveals a God who is not unaware of our need. Though the suffering made no sense to Job, he was assured he was both seen and heard. Job was a man who was able to dwell in the full reality of what it meant to be a human being with all of its sorrows and defeats. The definition of poverty of spirit. God then wrapped his arms around drawing these friends into a healed relationship in which he wanted to be a part. God claimed a place in their circle of forgiveness and restoration. This circle and this invitation is ours today. God wants to be a part of our circle.
1: Smile.
0: pray. Eternal Spirit, living God, in whom we live and move and have our being, all that we are, have been, and shall be is known to you, to the very secret of our hearts and all that rises to trouble us. Living flame, burn into us. Cleansing wind, blow through us fountain of water well up within us, that we may love and praise indeed and in truth. Amen. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love, be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen. Go in peace.